This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We're going to be talking about secondhand smoke, strata life, uh, loneliness, social media, and uh, I have a courtesan coming on uh, a little bit later on in the program to talk about her services and uh, what that means for your life. But right now, Paul Mendes of L'Esperance Mendes Law in British Columbia is here with me. He's a top strata lawyer in the country. And he is, oh um, he is really, <laughs> I've deemed him that. Well, we're, uh, we're, what floor are we on? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we are high above the clouds, the Rocky Mountains. Uh, and lovely to have all of you listening in Calgary and Edmonton and Vancouver and Winnipeg. Um, but we're going to be talking about some of the changes that are happening in legislation around cannabis in this country. And uh, because the legislation around cannabis goes into effect October 17th, we have a few more months to think about the impact that this is going to have on uh, living situations, especially the multi-residential places. Um, you know, smoking is secondhand smoke, typically comes from a cigarette, a cigar, or a pipe. And tobacco smoke has more than 4,000 chemical compounds, and 250 at least are known to cause disease. Exposure to secondhand smoke raises the risk by as much as 30% that others will get lung cancer and many other types of cancer. It can also lead to emphysema. It's bad for your heart. It may raise your bad LDL cholesterol and can damage the lining of your blood vessels. You are at higher risk for heart heart attack or stroke when you are living with somebody who is smoking because you are the recipient of secondhand smoke. But you are at greater risk of getting high, I guess, if you're living with somebody who's smoking pot. I guess that would be the, because it's natural, right? right? Cannabis is so natural. So we're going to have, uh, I imagine there's going to be a lot more litigation uh, once this comes into Yeah, I think, I think we're going to see quite a lot of things happening on the legal front with cannabis, apart from the, of course, legislation. I mean, I can't uh, state enough how um, monumental this is. Um, we're one of two countries in the world that has a national uh, recreational use legislation. And yet all the provinces have uh, mandated this in, in different ways. In different ways, that's right. Well, that's the way our constitutional system works. They're going to have some ability to regulate uh, the trade within their provinces. Um, it's going to be very interesting for people who are traveling, uh, all the legal developments around uh, impaired driving, uh, the use of marijuana at work, all those things are going to become very big issues, I think, starting in uh, at the end of the year. And in 2019, we're going to see a lot of things. Because I think people are going to get confused, especially if they're high, and they're going to mm-hmm. think, I can go to work high because it's legal. Yes, I think right? I think some people are going to be confused about this, and and we're talking about something quite separate from the medical uh, use of marijuana, which right. is interesting because the recreational legislation really comes out of the lobbying and activism around the medicinal use of it. Yes, we wouldn't be having this discussion today about the legalization of recreational marijuana if the people who'd been working over the past you know twenty years or so on the medical use front. Had, hadn't done 
their work. So there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be experimenting and we're going to see all kinds of things happening. From a strata point of view in multifamily housing, we're mostly concerned about the nuisance, uh, the smell issue. Uh, and then one thing that has caused a lot of condo uh, boards, uh, condo owners to be concerned uh, is the idea of growing up to four plants, which is permitted under the uh, Cannabis Act. In British Columbia, the legislation that the province has passed here, it's going to um, allow the four uh, plants to be grown. They can't be grown on common areas uh, of the strata. They can't be visible from public spaces, uh, which is kind of an odd thing when you think about it, but mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of some of the early liquor laws that we had uh, in some parts of the country. Um, but uh, so, there's, so there's going to be some regulation there, and a lot of stratas have been contacting me, a lot of condo uh, associations, uh, corporations have been contacting me uh, to get bylaws prohibiting both the consumption and growing of uh, marijuana because people are very concerned. Right. You know? I imagine if you bought your uh, condo anywhere in the in the country and then all of a sudden, you know, because another concern is altered behavior. So if all of a sudden everybody, anybody and everybody can smoke pot, and I imagine a lot of people will just be trying it, and, and especially the edibles. The risk is, is in the edibles, really. You know, it, people can smoke only so much. That's um, true. And then feel the effects. <laughs> but um, how do you know that? No, I'm kidding. Uh, but the <laughs> edibles, do you know I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the edibles, um, you know, people don't know how much they're consuming, and then they can hit the, the levels mm. of the blood can go up rather that, rapidly. That's right. And and so altered behavior and also maybe people will become quite ill. The, the emergency departments will have to be dealing with this. Exactly. And, and on the nuisance side, uh, that's what people are concerned about. It, the smoking of marijuana, like the traditional joint smoking smells terrible so people are concerned about that uh, and so they're also banning things like vaping uh, and you know the bylaws will say um, consumption of marijuana and I think you have to be careful with that because um, you know obviously edible or pill form or tinctures those aren't going to be nuisance issues or the creams the the topical <laughs> the topicals yeah, the topicals <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly so they're not going to have the same uh, nuisance effect right. so i try to steer uh, the councils away from that sort of a thing because you, what you're doing when you're restricting all consumption is you are targeting potentially the medical users right. who will uh you know have as the uh bra or the the woman who wouldn't wear the bra uh have a human rights uh, complaint potential there if uh if the bylaws are adversely impacting their uh disability or the treatment of their That's disability. That's right. Do you think there's any chance that the um, well the electricity consumption will mm-hmm. go up, right? With the Depends how it's May. grown. Like this is, you know, I don't I don't know anything about hydroponic growing and I don't know whether you have a hydroponic setup for these four plants. Uh you know, I I I know somebody that, will and they'll think, "Oh, I thought it was 400 plants." Yes, yes. I, could, <laughs> I have seen a licensed grows in operation in in um industrial uh facilities. Like I've seen them and um, I know that uh, those can produce a lot of heat, they right. can produce a lot of humidity, and of course they consume a lot of electricity. I'm not sure whether that 
that's probably the stigma that people have when they're mm-hmm. concerned about the four plants and right. the smell that the four plants can mm-hmm. cause. But, uh, you know, there are many people in Stratus who are prolific gardeners. They may not grow pot, but they're consuming a lot of water right, and, right. and have a lot of plants. So Yeah. And could it be this cannabis in Canada that brings down the prices of homes <laughs> in spite of all of <laughs> the other legislation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you one that wants your house to drop anyway. <laughs> um, well, it's going to be interesting and, and I really appreciate appreciate your taking time uh, and sharing welcome. your knowledge and wisdom. Uh, this, these were hot topics on LinkedIn. You know, we saw all the uh, the action mm-hmm. there, and um, and there was a, there was a comment I want to say on LinkedIn about um, you know ambulance chasing lawyers or whatever yes. about the streaking guy yes. that had his underwear on. And you know lawyers are um, provide a tremendous service, uh, outstanding knowledge and wisdom and and support. You know I've I've had to hire a lawyer myself uh, a few times, uh, once or twice in the past, and the big biggest thing that I noticed, especially in the uh, case that was far more emotional, was that I was able to actually offload my emotion and, mm-hmm. and the lawyer, um, you know, handled that, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. piece of it for me. And uh, he eventually quit the firm. <laughs> it was too much for him, I guess. Uh, no, but I really appreciated that I could, you know, I actually started to gain confidence. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a sexual harassment case mm-hmm. and, um, and workplace bullying case. And so I, and you know, who were you bullying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had a problem with it. I don't know why. <laughs> so, you know, I, it was a very emotional case and, and a tough time uh, for me in my career and in mm. my life. And I was able to actually carry on working, gain confidence. I remember I was traveling. I was quite busy for work. And, and I would get a letter from the lawyer and he'd say, these are the allegations, you know, defend each one of them. And, and, and I would initially be like, oh, my gosh, you know, and then and then I would read it and I'd be like, ah. No, no. You know, and I would just give the answers, send mm-hmm. it back, never think about it again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was, I'm quite appreciative of, of lawyers and I'm really appreciative that you've come into the studio tonight and you have shared your knowledge and, um, provided all of this, uh, legal advice and wisdom on these very important subjects that affect so many welcome. people. So Paul Mendes of Mendes Lesperance Law, top strata lawyer. All right. <laughs> and <laughs> Thank I you so much. am not. I'm Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you and, uh, We're going to be coming back very shortly, so thanks so much for staying with me on the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It's always my pleasure to be here with you. We're together, right? We feel better together. Knowing you're there, you knowing I'm here, you know, we're a little bit less lonely. Kind of nice. It's uh, always nice to know that you're here with me or there with me. So if you'd like to give me a call, the number to call is one 399 9898 Or you can email me, nurse at com, And I am going to be reading your emails shortly. But first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the ironic and, and perhaps cruel twist to social media is that we're feeling less socially connected than ever before, which is why I really like radio. Because, you know, it's, it's the, it's a conversation. It's a chat. It's, uh, you know, you can, it's a dialogue back and forth. You can express your opinion. You can email in. You can feel connected. But we're not feeling that connected. Even though we may have thousands of friends on Facebook, I'm guilty of this. I have 5,000 friends. <laughs> People say to me, and you actually can't have more than 5,000 friends on Facebook. So they even know. They don't want me to die of loneliness. They, uh, every time I have a lot of people who say to me, Maureen, you haven't accepted my Facebook friendship. And it's like, oh, I can't. I have 5,000 friends. I have to wait till a few people ditch me, uh, which happens daily. Okay. Um, before I can accept more people on Facebook. So 
our, through the last couple of decades, really, our, our ability to connect with people around the globe has really exploded exponentially. Uh, you know, it, when it started out, we could chat, join chat rooms and news groups, email anybody uh, in the world. And then that came into our workplaces as well. And then cell phones allowed us to talk to people when we were, were, when we were in our cars, although you can't do that any longer in many places. Um, but we could talk to people, uh, you know, when we weren't at home or we weren't at work. This gave us this whole new freedom, this whole new social network. We, we could connect with our neighbors, our, our friends, our, our high school sweethearts. <laughs> I, I uh, had a high school sweetheart reach out to me recently. He broke my heart in high school. He went on to go out with every single girl in the whole high school. <laughs> the entire cheerleading team went through them, hockey, football. Um, and my heart was broken uh, until I got a boyfriend, uh, another boyfriend. But nonetheless, he's had a number of marriages, as it, as it turned out. But, uh, you know, he reached out and... Uh, so easy. And, and actually, it was hilarious because he said to me, oh, I'm glad to know you have the same laugh as you did in high school. And I'm like, how would he know I have the same laugh? Oh, right. He must have been listening to the show. Anyway, um, but there are some things about social media that have changed our lives. And one of it is that our relationships have now grown more superficial. I have to say I was on Instagram uh, and I'm looking through and somebody had posted the beautiful, she was somewhere in the world and she had posted, oh, the beautiful mountains and the beautiful ocean and the, the beautiful this of the place that she had visited. And the biggest percentage of the picture was her. And I thought, well, where are the beautiful mountains and the beautiful ocean? You know, people are just posting themselves doing just rather mundane activities. <laughs> Why? I'm not really sure. Uh, maybe they want all those likes. Who knows? But anyway, I don't, I don't want to be judgmental. But it's really become this idea to demonstrate to everybody that we have a perfect life. And look at how amazing um, what I'm doing right now, like eating lunch, is. Uh, but there's so much pressure to make your life look better than it really is on social media. So rather than share what's really going on, which is actually far more interesting because only the truth is interesting, most people are more likely to talk about their latest accomplishment, their awesome vacation, or the incredible meal that they've just made. Anyway, it bores me <laughs> a little bit. Also, screen time interferes with our ability to act actually be in a relationship. So we don't really know the other person if we only know them through screens. So we really don't know the type of, of people that they are. And so we don't read social cues. And so we're not necessarily getting the right messages in our relationship. There's even a study that found that kids get better at reading other people's emotions after just five days away from their digital services. The kids today are being brought up on digital. They're being brought up digitally. So they're going to have a big, a very difficult time with uh, relationships, just even understanding what the other person means. I'm, I'm presently seeing a lot of patients in my clinical practice in the late 20s and 30s, and they are having intimacy issues because they have spent a lot of time uh, online. So the emphasis on when you're on social media is on the quantity of relationships, not the quality. And I and I jest when I say I have 5,000 Facebook friends. I don't know any of them. <laughs> People email me like they know me. But, you know, I suppose you can feel like you know me. I do know a few of them. And it seems to be the same crowd that 
you know, we, we kind of read what each other has to say. And, you know, when I find social media on Twitter, I get my news on Twitter and, and I hear about things on, on Facebook. So there are some benefits. I don't want to say that there aren't any benefits. There is, of course, with smartphones, we have smartphone addiction and that in, interferes with face to face interactions. You can go into any restaurant and you can see a couple together. You can see a family together. Everybody is on the iPhone. Also, this, re- we can work remotely. We're, it's so much easier today to work. Uh, from home and, and it just sounds amazing. We can work from home and in fact I have a new project and and it's largely remote and someone said, oh you're you're good at that and I'm like, no, I'm actually not. I love people. I love to get out there and work with other people. I, I, I get energy from that. Uh, so I'm not, um, you know, I don't necessarily love working at home. Um, and so you can get increased isolation. You're not around people. And so you really have to drum up times during the day to actually uh, engage and, and be social. And, and the other thing is a lot of people are spending a lot of time online. Um, and, and it's on average, according to studies, 35 to 74 times a day, people are checking their smartphones. And, and younger people are likely checking it more than that. But people are scrolling through social media to see what other people are doing, as opposed to paying attention to the person who is right in front of them, to the person they are out for dinner with, the person that they are walking with, the person that they, I mean, it is shocking. And, you know, you can go to a dinner and, you know, maybe six, eight, ten people, and it's shocking how many people are on their smartphones and checking their smartphones. And what's sad is they're checking up on other People And you can't have quality face-to-face interactions when you're distracted by your phone every few minutes. So it's really important that we become mindful of this. And, and because this leads to loneliness, this leads to not feeling so great about yourself. And it takes extra effort to stay socially connected in this age in which we're living of social media and being digital. So it's important that you combat loneliness because loneliness is so bad for your health. It is bad for your physical health because it can... Increase peripheral vascular resistance, elevate your blood pressure, and lead to an early death. It can also affect your emotional well-being. So you want to get proactive and combat that loneliness. Reach out to people when you're feeling badly. Invite someone to meet them for coffee. Don't bring your phone with you. Join an organization. Go to the gym. I actually started going to the gym, which I don't even like the gym, but I went. I I love it now. It's it's MET, muscular endurance training, muscle and endurance training. It's fantastic. I didn't, I didn't like to work out indoors. I'm an outside girl. Anyway, you're listening right now to the Sunday Night Health Show. Stay with me. We're going to be coming up on the second hour with lots more subjects. I'm Maureen McGrath. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, the final strokes of the programs. We're talking with Olivia LaRue. She's on the line. She's a courtesan. A courtesan was originally a courtier, which meant a person who attended the court of a monarch or other powerful person. Fast forward to today, the term courtesan has become a euphemism to designate a comforter, an escort, a mistress, or a prostitute, especially one of dignified etiquette who attracts wealthy, powerful, or influential clients. Hello, Olivia. Hello, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Oh, good. So you're a courtesan, a current-day courtesan. Indeed, I am. This is your business. And um, so can you uh, explain to the listeners exactly what a courtesan is uh, or exactly what it is that you do? Well, sure. Um, what I do is I am a companion to my clients. I fill a void. I heal their bodies and souls. Um, 
What's the I void that you be fill? Be pretty and be nice. You'd be pretty. You'd be pretty and be nice. What What is the void that you fill? Well, oftentimes my clients don't get the intimacy they desire out of their marriage or their relationship. And so they call upon you for that. Well, among other things. Um, which is more interesting, that or the other things? <laughs> <laughs> What was your question? I said, what is more interesting, that or the other things? What exactly are the things that, um, do you go out um, on dates with these people or is it a private matter? It just depends on what the client wants. Sometimes I'll go visit them, wherever they may be, in a different state or here in Reno, Nevada, where I live. And we will hang out, go out, go to dinner, go back to their house. Um, and sometimes they only have an hour to hang out with me, and so we expedite the process of chilling and get right to the tension relief. And the tension release, does that involve um, sexual relations? And, well, it might if coincidentally you're both attracted to each other. Uh, sorry, what was that? Sorry? And he sexual relations that happens between the client and I is a matter of coincidence and is not guaranteed. Oh, I see. That's a matter of coincidence. So that's not what they're necessarily seeking. They're more seeking the companionship. Well, they all come to me from different walks of life and for different reasons. Okay. And so do they actually pay for you to fly around the country? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So they'll pay for you and they'll put you up in the hotel if necessary and pay the hourly. I, 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 I'm assuming you're billable hours. Um, I do billable hours when it is a matter of more than 12 hours. It's flat fee because, you know, it involves travel and sleeping and things that a person does that aren't billable right. hours. So like that. are you married? I am married, and um, and uh, I imagine that your uh, spouse knows what you what it is that you do for a living. Absolutely. And how does your spouse feel about that? Well, he's pretty supportive. At first, he was mm, he was grasping at straws. He had no support system. It's, he said he couldn't find anything online. My wife wants to be a prostitute, so he had to kind of deal with it on his own but we have a really good communication and we've been together for a long time so we work through it and he knows i'm happy i'm doing what i love he's happy for me and it pays the bills at the end of the day yeah i imagine it pays the bills and then some well compared to working nine to five um at a corporate job i get to see my kids more doing this um and Take home pay is uh, a little bit better. <laughs> better than a sex radio host, I imagine. <laughs> I don't know about that. So you <laughs> you said that um, you, this is something that you love. What inspired you to become a courtesan? Well, and this is going to sound silly, maybe because you hear a lot of people say that nobody wants to grow up to be a prostitute. But when I was little, it was really sexual, and I always thought that this kind of work would be really fun. 
but it took me a while to get to it. I'm in my 30s now. Um, I need to get some life experience. To be honest, if I had tried doing this 10 years ago, I probably would have made a lot more mistakes, and I might have done some real damage to myself and maybe other people. Right. Um, yeah, you definitely need some life experience and some limit setting, and there, there certainly are risks with the job. Um, but you were a little girl and, and or a young girl and, and decided, I want to grow up and be a prostitute. Well, it was between a chef and an escort. So I did the chef thing for about 20 years, and then I decided to do the escort thing. Okay, yeah. So it's... Um, Escort is a little bit more of a broader term. It doesn't necessarily always involve sex. And, and why would it involve sex for some and not for others? Does it have anything to do with you being attracted to the client? Honestly? Well, I, that's two questions. So let me answer the first one. Sometimes the clients are not physically able to have sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they really just want to snuggle <laughs> or have someone to listen to them. Right. Um, people are searching for connection. And a lot of times the only way they think they can have a connection is by having sex with someone. But really what they needed was to talk and cuddle and just be around someone who wasn't going to judge them. And the second question, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> what, what, um, why do some people, why is it that you have sex with some of your clients and not others? And does it have anything to do with you being attracted to them? Oh, okay, my attraction. Um, I'm very bisexual. So when it comes to being physically attracted to another person, it's pretty much females only. So that helps because it allows me to be emotionally attracted to my clients and most of my clients are really nice people. Are so most of your clients are most of your clients <laughs> men or women? I've seen both, mostly men. Mostly men. But you're attracted physically to women. Indeed. And and emotionally to men. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Okay, so that that's helpful for your husband. I mean that's certainly a a, a way that that might give him some comfort, I would imagine. It comforts him to know that I'm not going to run off with some rich sugar daddy and leave him with the kid and the mortgage to pay. <laughs> and, and why aren't you going to do that? That sounds pretty... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, be, because it's not necessarily uh, I, I, meant... I take some of my marriage vows seriously and others, well, we took with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, you can create your own marriage vows um, as well. Do you mind if I ask you how much this costs, how much the service costs? Sure. If I'm seeing a client during the day, normal business hours is $400 an hour, American dollars. And then at night, the price goes up. If I have to travel, the price goes up. If we're doing overnight, we need a minimum of $2,000. And then weekends and whatnot, it goes from there. Okay. And do you work uh, full-time, part-time? Um, billable hours would be part-time. Would, yeah. But um, I go to the gym, I eat right, I do a lot of work on the computer, advertising, mm-hmm. so that's work too. It is. Um, 
Yeah, so all it's the a back end job work. If you take it seriously, yeah, yeah, all the back end work, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I imagine, especially in a world of social media and how disconnected we are from our our lovers, our partners, our our spouses, wives, husbands, uh, that uh, there is a, a need to increase the intimacy in a relationship, and and you're providing a great service as a courtesan, Olivia Larue. How can people get in touch with you? Well, I have my website, OliviaLaRueReno.com. You can Google me. Um, you can text me. <laughs> and email me, OliviaLaRue at ProtonMail.com. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. I really appreciate the information. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Not at all. All right, I wanted to read one of your emails. That's interesting. Um, interesting work. You know, you never know what people are going to choose for a career. I certainly didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a sex radio host. Anyway, here I am. Um, although a lot of people did say to me over my life, you should be on radio because of your voice. Nonetheless, here I am. Uh, and I want to read your emails, which are vital. I love receiving emails from you. Nurse talk at hotmail.com. Dear Maureen, I watched your TEDx talk video from a couple of years ago. All the things you mentioned I experienced with my over four-year partner, which also included depression. He ended up leaving after we finally moved in together into our own home after only a few months. At this point, the things you said in your talk I understood and also related to quite personally. My topic to ask you about is where do polyamorous people fit in and is it something society should look at instead of the system around monogamy, marriage, and all of its norms? After being monogamous for the last 20 years, I decided never to get involved with a single person ever again. So I do not get the sex and intimacy problems. The path of being polyamorous has only just started for me, but as a woman, I feel I don't know how to approach it without being stigmatized, especially when men actually find it strange or even wrong that as a woman, I think I can be intimate and loving with more than one person. What is your opinion on the polyamorous path that is about deep connections with multiple partners separately, but at the same period of time? Very interesting question. There is some research that uh, demonstrates that people in monogamous relationships are not as happy as those people in polyamorous relationships. So they are less satisfied with their relationships than polyamorous, people who are uh, involved with um, many lovers. And so... Um, this is, I think it's, I think it's difficult. Uh, I think it sounds like a great idea often at the beginning. And I think that people become, um, emotional. We are, you know, humans at heart and you can't help or prevent your feelings. And so there can be a lot of issues. Um, according to, uh, you know, a lot of surveys, there's a widespread belief that monogamists are having more and better sex. Uh, and why the reason is that the stereotype of people who are into consensual non-monogamy is that they have deficient relationships. It's presumed that the reason they have multiple partners is because they aren't fulfilled or are no longer attracted to their partner, their primary partner. So a, a recent study out of the University of Michigan conducted two studies in where, where they compared sexual satisfaction, orgasm frequency, recent sexual activity, and overall relationship satisfaction for people in monogamous relationships and consensually non-monogamous relationships. So the researchers compared specific kinds of consensual non-monogamy, swinging, polyamory, and open relationships. And they compared those to monogamy to determine whether the style of non-monogamy matters. The studies that they uh, dem- that they um, held 
found very similar results, but the participants were recruited differently in each case. So that had something to do with um, with the outcomes. But in one of the particular studies, there were about 1,200 people in monogamous relationships and 510 people in non-monogamous relationships. And 52% were polyamorous, 30% were in open relationships of those 510, and 18% were swingers. And the participants were age 35 on average, and most were white. So in the overall group comparison, monogamous and consensually non-monogamous partners reported being equally satisfied with their relationships. However, those in consensually non-monogamous relationships were more sexually satisfied. Consensually non-monogamous participants were more likely to have orgasmed during their most recent sexual encounter, which wasn't that big of a difference, but it is statistically significant, 84% versus 78%. And they were also more likely to report having had sex with their primary partner today or yesterday, and that was 52% versus 37%. So while non-monogamous weren't necessarily more content with their relationships overall, they were having more frequent and satisfying sex. This, uh, this turns out these findings differed somewhat based on the specific type. So among the polyamorous, those who agree to have multiple sexual and or romantic relationships at the same time, they were more sexually satisfied and more satisfied with their relationships overall than monogamous were. This is not rocket science. Polyamorous were no more likely to have had an orgasm the last time they had sex than the monogamous, but they were more likely to have had sex within the last two days, and that is important, 48% versus 37%. So... The, the, among those people in open relationships, those who have a primary partner, but also a set of rules permitting some type of outside sexual involvement, their lives were no different from those of monogamous. So there were no difference in sexual satisfaction, orgasm frequency, or recent sex. So why did the polyamorous and swingers seem to be having better sex lives than the monogamous? We really don't know. This requires more research, and we should be cautious about drawing too many conclusions. But one possibility is that having multiple partners provides a certain level of excitement or arousal that carries over into the primary relationship. I'm Maureen McGrath. It's all about the arousal. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you as I do every Sunday night. And uh, you can email me still. I still take your emails all week long. Nursetalk at hotmail.com. I want to talk about sex. What a shocker. Sex can be an incredibly vulnerable experience. It should be an incredibly vulnerable experience. Sometimes a lot of people need a glass of wine or two to become less inhibited, to become more vulnerable. And you know what? If that floats your boat, that's fantastic if that works for you. But there are some people who struggle with alcoholism and the desire to dull some of the more uncomfortable feelings that are associated with sex, like fear, anxiety, and insecurity. And so... I'm very surprised, I have to say, at the number of uh, emails that I get um, from from listeners often or people who have seen my TEDx talk or whatever, and they they want um, more sex in their in their life. Who doesn't? <laughs> more more frequency, uh, more intimacy, better sex. But oftentimes they have no idea that there's an elephant in the room and they ignore that. And so people don't realize that having an issue, a substance use and abuse issue, such as uh, drinking too much alcohol, may impact their sex life. And so what is sober sex like? 
you know, sober sex can be, I mean, you can talk to somebody who has an alcohol problem until you're blue in the face and suggest that they stop drinking and they're not going to do that until they have reached some rock bottom. And the rock bottom is not going to be that they end up on the, you know, out on the streets or homeless or they lose their wife or their children or their home or or their marriage or whatever. The rock bottom often is a, is a look or a statement or or something that has happened. Uh, there are 90% of functional, 90% of alcoholics are functional alcoholics. That means they are living in the white pillared homes in the suburbs. And so this, sometimes you can be living with an alcoholic and not even know it and not even understand it. But I'm talking to the person with the drinking problem right now. Having better sex is not just going to be, you, you can't blame somebody else. And alcoholics often do that. They blame other, especially their other partner, the person they're closest to for their problem. So that's that's pretty common. But when you become sober, there are so many benefits to sex, to actually feeling it, to feeling that arousal, that excitement, that lubrication, and, and to experiencing orgasm because alcohol can dull your senses. When you are sober, uh, you may feel more empowered to ask for what you want, and you may be much more comfortable communicating what you don't want in bed. It can be scary at first, I get that, but also it's worthwhile because you can become far more in touch with your own body and pleasure. Sex becomes much more of a set of a spiritual experience in the sense that you can feel connected to it and actually understand what it is that you desire and what it is that you enjoy. Many people have issues with the sexual response cycle, men and women, when they consume too much alcohol and they deaden things or things can become delayed because the reaction times are slower. You can get delayed ejection, uh, d- delayed ejaculation. Sorry, that ejection is the combination of ejaculation and erection. You've never heard that before? Anyway, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> delayed ejaculation, <laughs> um, which is can be caused by being incredibly anxious about sex. So you also stop equating sex or lack thereof with your own self worth you'll have fewer regrets after making love or after having sex with somebody you can you know it can be it will be true consent and uh, also the sensations can be far more intense especially at first and and it'll probably be the first time you approach sex like an adult so you if you uh, you know I would advise you to stop drinking and pursue sober sex well it looks like we're to the end of the program the uh, you can follow me on Twitter at back the number two the bedroom I am of course on Facebook uh, tread carefully. I have 5,000 friends already. Um, I am on LinkedIn as well, so you can find me there. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. It's been my pleasure to be here with you this evening. I am Maureen McGrath, and you've been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.